Hey everybody, this is the second start of Burke Reviews Movie Club, episode number 22. We're going to be talking about the movie Amelie tonight. I'm John Burke, and with me is Corey Starr. Hello, hello. So, today is uh, my last day of work for two months. I am going on summer vacation, the beauty of being a teacher. I mean, there's many beauties, to be completely honest. The paycheck is not one of them, but we don't do it for a paycheck, folks. We do it because we care. And I get to talk about movies with people, and that's pretty awesome. Um, so, with that, uh, Corey, how was your day today? Long. I uh, four day week. I work a grown up. I work a grown up job now, where I get to take holidays off sometimes. Um, and I shouldn't say grown up job. That wasn't nice. <laughs> but um, but why does this four day week seem so long? You know, I've had like. Three of my days where I actually had students, I didn't have students today um, because they got at our school. The students got out yesterday, but our three days of class with students were half days um, where they were gone at noon. Um, And then we had, you know, we had grade finals and stuff. So, I mean, I was working till three or four most days, but it did feel long. Um, And today uh, we were able to leave at like one, really. um, But we had three uh, co-workers who I've worked with the entire time I've been at the school I'm at um, have retired. Um, well, it's not entirely true. One of them has not been at the school the entire time. However, the previous school I taught at, he was my first friend. Um, he, like He welcomed me to the school he'd been teaching. Um, he retired after 36 years of teaching today. Um, Holy. And uh, he was... He's still young. I want to point that out. He's not like... You might be picturing like an old guy. He's not him. That's not him at all. Um dude's in better shape than I am for sure. And, but when I, when I started teaching, I am by default socially uncomfortable. I don't want to say socially awkward. I don't have any kind of diagnosis for social anxiety, but I don't like approaching strangers. Um, I'm one who will sit in the empty table in a room full of people, um, to avoid that discomfort of do they like me or not. And he welcomed me with open arms when I started teaching, um, brought me in, uh, you know, here's a veteran and here I am a rookie with not even an education background. My, my degrees in journalism, uh, decided to teach English instead of pursuing newspapers at the time. And he retired today. So I've worked with him for a while. And, um, one of the other guys, uh, that worked or that retired today, uh, gave me, um, moose jerky this week. Have you ever had moose jerky, Corey? Not interested. <laughs> it's, it's actually, um, really, really delicious, but, uh, I'm a weirdy about texture. <laughs> I feel like we need to talk about well, that. I, I'm I, I am too. But do you like beef jerky? I love beef jerky. I have tried deer meat and did not like the texture. It was very stringy. I think it depends on who makes the jerky for sure. Um, and I don't know. Um, I am I am a big fan of beef jerky, and I've had I actually do like deer jerky, but um, I've only had it from a couple of people, and the people that I've had, I'd say, make really good uh, jerky. And um, this gentleman, uh, the very first day of my job at my current school, um, he introduced himself to me. Same thing, because, again, I'm going to be the awkward one. I'm going to go sit by myself rather than try to introduce myself to people I don't know. Um, He came to me, introduced himself, and he's a big, tall guy. And he's like, you got to buy me a pizza. And I I was really unsure. I'm like, is he bullying me? Am I being picked on? Like, what is it? Do I have to buy him a pizza? I didn't know what, what he was, you know, <laughs> couldn't, I didn't know how to take it, but I didn't buy him one and he didn't kill me. So I assumed it was safe at that point. And he's been a really cool guy the whole time I've worked with him. I, I, I would say he's a friend, but I, I, it's, that's that word, you know, like friend implies certain things. I don't think we're friends in the traditional sense, but when I think of work friends, the he's work definitely friends. one that I would put up there. Exactly. Um, and then, uh, the third is, is a, a awesome woman um her, her i've actually worked with uh two of her family members as well um and she's retiring well-deserved uh, hard worker um and it was it was kind of an emotional day i guess is why i'm telling all of this on the podcast right now uh, i I'm, i feel exhausted a little emotionally drained um so i had to watch a messed up movie uh to make myself feel um cynical and, and scared of the world again uh as i was feeling a bit too sentimental um, so I checked out this film called Cheap Thrills today before the podcast. Um, it's directed by Eli Katz, I think is the guy's name. I'm hoping I'm not forgetting that. Um, stars Pat Healy, um, David Koechner, um, Ethan Embry, 
And I am forgetting the girl's name, but she was in a new, another movie with Pat Healy. I'm going to get that in a second. I'm pulling it up now. It is um, Sarah Paxton. Um, it is a pretty twisted movie. Uh, very straightforward story. Um, very small, but it's so great. And um, just the way it plays out, the character development's amazing. I, I'm a fan of David Koechner. Um, I hope I'm saying his name correct. I'm pretty sure I am. Um, He's in a bunch of stuff. Like he's a, he's an actor. When you see him, you uh, if you've seen Anchorman, he's um, the sports guy. He's the whammy guy. Oh, um, he's always pretty great. Whatever he's in, but this particular role, man, he is. I don't even want to say it's it's such a cool story. Again, it's super small. It's meant to be. It's it's definitely low budget, but it's it doesn't look it like the the camera works great. Um, great might be overstatement. It's really good. Everything's really good. The performances though really stand out, and the story is super compelling um the way like i see it playing out like i it's not that it's a complete like it didn't take me by surprise but at the same time it felt so believable like every step of the way you're like oh i see what they're i see where they're going but i'm still buying into everything that's happening on screen right now and it's there's a few look away moments in this movie it gets it gets pretty intense at times where i was like oh can't watch can't watch but man, I, I I'm not sure. I haven't I haven't wrote my review for it yet. Um, I'm definitely definitely feeling the movie, um, and it did it, it made me feel a little a little sad, but in a different way, like a different sad, like you know, like oh, people are awful. Um, and sometimes I need that. I need to be reminded that not everybody is sweet and and, and good and kind. And you know, I got to refuel the cynicism sometimes, guys. It's it's necessary. <laughs> Mm-hmm. I'm sold. You said it has Ethan Embry in it, so boom. And oh, I don't. Even, I don't want to talk about. It. I don't want to talk about this movie, because um, I don't want to ruin anything. Because I I knew a little bit about it, but I didn't know um, exactly how it was gonna go, like how dark it could go. And I don't want to wreck anything. I would say though, when Ethan Embry showed up, I thought he was gonna be a really minor part, and then he ended up being a major act, a character in the story. So that was really cool. Um, so I figured you would be in, and then uh, Eli Katz is relevant. Um, we'll be bringing him back up later in the episode as we talk. We're going to be watching his newest film for next week's episode of the podcast. But um, I've watched a couple movies this week. That's one of them. I saw Wonder Woman last night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, my review is up online at BerkReviews dot com. Um, I will say, uh, of the DC movies, easily the best one, um, without any hesitation. Um, and we're going from Batman. Uh, I'm sorry, from Man of Steel, Batman vs Superman, Suicide Squad. Wonder Woman is in the same universe. We know that from Batman vs Superman. Easily, this is the best movie um, directed by Patty Jenkins, who hadn't directed anything for a few years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and it, it's it's a solid film. There are problems. It's not perfect, but most of the problems are much more forgivable than anything else they've done so far. <laughs> so. Um, if you were hesitant to see it, uh, and I'm not just saying this because this is on my fantasy draft team uh, for the summer movie review, although I am encouraging sure everybody to see it. No, no, <laughs> I promise. There's no my uh, opinion. I, I will admit I started very, 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 very against the movie. Like the first five minutes I was like, oh, uh, what is this? Oh, God, no. And then I was completely sold. Um, it, it whatever my issues were, which I do think were more personal. I think I kind of went in expecting to just be disappointed again. Um, and it was, and if that's right, if I'm right, if that feeling was simply because of my point of view of what they've done so far, then this movie did even better than I think because it won me over a lot. So if you were hesitant, if you were on the fence about seeing Wonder Woman, I do recommend it. It is again not perfect, but definitely worth seeing and. Um, it, it makes me hopeful for the rest of the series. We do have a Justice League movie coming out later this year, and I'm going to give a spoiler for in Wonder Woman. It's not a true spoiler, so don't get panicky, but don't waste your time sitting through the credits. There is no post credit scene in Wonder Woman, despite there being one in Batman vs. Superman, and despite Justice League coming out in just a few months. You would have thought we'd get a stinger, but we didn't, so I guess they're trying to break away from that uh, Marvel habit. Mmm... Um, and then, of course, I watched Amelie, which we'll get to in a little bit. Corey, have you watched anything interesting this week? I did. Um, I watched Vanilla Sky. Oh. And I had never seen before. And my friend Laura is a big 
she's all like, I low-key, and so I'm a Cruise fan, and I'm like, no, low-key, you could, like, write a novel, <laughs> you know, but, um, and she'd been telling me to watch that one for years, and then I watched Amelie, and I feel like I'm forgetting something, so we'll move on. Well, now, I want to hear about Vanilla Sky. Did you like it? I did. Um, that was that is uh, probably my favorite Tom Cruise movie. Oh no! Uh oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I thought we shouldn't talk about it, but um, I really did enjoy it. I'm not a fan of Tom Cruise. Yes, I know. Not a fan. Um, so I went in kind of. Eh, it's kind of weird story. Oh, that's one of the um, things I love about it. It is very uh, psychologically intriguing. Um, it, I'm you just know, like, what? It's a- it actually fits very much in the movies we've been watching from Charlie Kaufman. It's got a surrealist yes. element to it, for sure. Um, I thought that Penelope Cruz was absolutely charming. Um, very. What year was that made? It was very 90s. Um, I don't recall. I think it's like... 2001, yeah, that's what I was about to say. No, it's mm-hmm. like 97. So much well, about the... Keeping in mind, like, it, w- it would have been yes. probably filmed in like, you know, late 99, early 2000. Um, okay. And it is a remake. I don't know if you know that. It, it, there's a foreign film, um, which I'm going to get the name of. That also stars Penelope Cruz, though. Um, oh, that's right. And I'm trying... I can never remember the name of it. It's something your eyes, for your eyes, or... It was eyes. in Spanish, wasn't it? I do believe it is in Spanish. It is a foreign I film, think but Mike talked about it I'm before. About I am like right there. Where is it? Oh, open your eyes. That's what it's called. And that's from '97. Mm. So you could assume that Dang. if they were paying tribute to the film, um, that it might have kept some of the '90s look, trying to match it. And Penelope Cruz is second build in this one as well as Vanilla Sky. So. Interesting to have hmm. the uh, same actress in both versions of the movie. Yeah, what are they, that's such a quick turnaround too for a remake, even for you know what I mean? Like, um, it's about the same as uh, Let Them In and Let the Right Ones In. Really, I felt like there was more time between those. Well, we're looking what four years there. So Let Me In is 2010, and Let the Right One In. It's 2008, so less. Drop the mic. Gross! Not gross, but geez. Okay. Um, But yeah. Um, So, and obviously your boy Michael Shannon has a very small role in Vanilla Sky, but he is in it, so. (laughs) I was very happy when his 12-year-old self showed up. (laughs) I was like, God, he looks so young. And it was 16 years ago, but it still looks even younger than that. Because... He just looks so, he looks older and rugged. You know what I mean? I don't know. Yeah, and when he's um, a security officer or something like that um, in Vanilla Sky, if mm-hmm. I remember correctly. Um, but, yeah, I, I watched that a few years ago for the first time, um, and I was really into it. I love, there's so many subtle little changes into the landscape where you start to see that it's a lucid dream. Spoilers. Um, it's too bad, it's old. It's 2001, guys. Watch the movie. Um like uh the the old cars like he's walking down the street with penelope cruz i think it's with penelope cruz and all of a sudden like all the cars are like 50s cars and he's wearing like 50s clothes but it's like super subtle like it's not obvious that it's happening and it's possible i'm saying all this and you didn't even notice because it's meant to be in the background there's all these little hints of what's going on but you have to really be looking and i watched it at the right time where i've only watched it once but it was like i was so engrossed with the the concept that I was just like catching all these little details while I was watching it. I definitely miss some. And there, I mean, easy to do. And again, it's it's done in a way where if you're not paying attention, you could easily miss what the the visuals are trying to tell you. But um, uh, that's one of the things I loved about it. It's a movie I want to rewatch, um, and I may do that this summer. I don't know. I'm this is my first summer off officially for two years where I'm not. I don't have master's work to do. Um, so I'm kind of like, I'm nervously free. Like, I feel like there's gotta be something I should be doing, but there really isn't. Like, I don't have papers to grade. I mean, I, I always have lesson plans to make for next year and I do have a workshop I'm going to in a couple of weeks with my yearbook staff, but, um, I don't really have anything pending. Like I don't have a due date for like the first time in two years. There's nothing that I have to be done right now. Um, I am though. Uh, and we're about to get into our Amelie review, but I, I feel like talking tonight. 
um, I'm going to be uh, attempting a documentary, a feature-length documentary, um, on our high school marching band and what it takes oh, cool. to uh, make the season. Um, talking to you know people from the community, what what the marching band means to them. Um, talking to alumni, some who work at the school still, who are even involved with the band in some cases, and um, what I was planning on doing this um, after I saw the movie Step. It really inspired me. I was like, I. I want to tell a story, and I've always been really compelled with how hard the marching band works, because they start August 1st. They're in the dead heat for like eight hours rehearsing their performance pieces for the football games coming up, you know, in a month. And um, and let's also, it is very hot. It is August, it's but August it's Florida, in Florida, and it yeah. is humid as heck, and just freaking miserable and they aren't they in their uniforms already or did they get to they usually go uh no like usually like gym shorts and and t-shirts or whatever um the uniforms would be a bit much um partly one is that like i don't think they want them to ruin their uniforms by sweating that much but um but it's it's you know it's basically like you know boot camp for band like they're working hard they're sweating there's new members who have to learn everything and there are old members who are this is their last year so the pressure's on they want to really do a good job and at, the, at our school, so not only do we have, that's that's every high school band in theory, every high school marching band has what I just described. We also have uh, Scottish dancers and bagpipers, something that most high schools don't have. So we have this extra layer and this extra layer of tradition that um, the community really expects a lot from our marching band. And so that's a compelling story in and of itself, right? Talking to the seniors, what is it? what does this mean to you? Why do you invest so much time? Why do you, you know, basically kill yourself in our in the heat to perform on Friday nights at a halftime show? Like it's it's a lot for a very little bit of performance time. I mean, I was in bands for years and we would drive an hour away to play 45 minutes in front of like eight people. But it's still way easier than what the marching band goes through to play for the their 15 minutes. And um, for a stadium who's predominantly there traditionally to see the football game and the band is just a bonus. And in no way am I insulting the band or anything. I'm saying, but it takes a type of personality to to be driven to do something that's this difficult, this many hours of rehearsal for so little payoff time. And I think it's compelling. I think it's interesting. And I, it's not, and again, I'm not insulting. I am inspired by their dedication. It, it's, you know, there are things that I wish I would try to do, but I'm just like, ah, it's too hard. I'm not going to do it. And here's, I'm looking at them like, that's way too hard. Why are you doing that? And I want to capture it. I want to film it. I want to talk to them, and specifically to our school. But there's an added layer of intrigue is that we can't keep a band director. We are starting this year on oh. our sixth band director since I've been at the school. And, it, and how long have you been there again? Uh, this will be this coming year will be my official seventh full year, but it'll be my eighth technically. I started in a at a halfway point um, in 2010. Oh my gosh. So, um, we have had six band directors and not to um not all of them have had it, it there's different reasons for all of them leaving like there's not the same thing it's not the same problem it's not that it's too hard sometimes it is that it's too much time or it's like one guy we had is a talented jazz musician he got an opportunity to teach at a university like a jazz music class so like how do you not do that Whoa. you know like that's a cool opportunity totally get that but we've had one thing after another and so now I get to capture a brand new band director starting his, not just starting at our school, starting his career fresh out of college. Oh. Coming in now. He got to, he was the assistant band director for the second half of our school year this year. But that's after marching season. So he is starting from scratch as the marching season is beginning um, with an assistant who is the Scottish band director. She was going to be retiring, but has been persuaded to stay for one more season to help this guy get acclimated um, because she's been doing this for a long time and she was on the Scottish unit when she was in high school so again lots of tradition Whoa. here so if, if I'm hoping just me talking about it should be compelling as a story and I see there's so many ways this can go this can go really inspiring where here comes this new kid and he works really hard and the band is successful and it's a great season and that's the story I want to be honest I am not wanting anyone to struggle but those are paths that could happen. And so as a documentarian, it, it'll be very interesting to see how it goes. Um, and I, I'm, if, if this guy who's new is, happens to come across my podcast, because my principal does talk about it quite a bit, um, and he hears me talking, I don't want you to fail, bud. That's not what I'm saying. And I don't want you to put those thoughts in your head. So I hope you don't hear this, because that's not my intention. But 
I want to capture this season and and what it's like and what it is to be a part of a marching band. And again, I think it was would have been a compelling documentary before, but I think it got a little more compelling now. You know, there's this whole other level of stakes that just got added. And again, hoping that the result is positive. But if you've seen the documentary Wiener, sometimes when you're capturing things happening for real, you get stuff that you're not expecting to get. So um, that's my, my one of my summer goals this year. I'm going to start filming in August, um, doing it legit. My goal is to make a feature-length doc on this and uh, enter it in some festivals. So see what happens. Um, that is rad, and I don't think you'll have a hard time making that feature-length. No, easy. Um, I, in fact, I already I basically have an outline for, um, you know, I want the last sequence to be the last performance of the season. Um, and then, uh, some final interviews to wrap it up, you know, and it'll end, you know, but there's senior night and, uh, I want to capture the first performance for sure, get some footage of the other performances, but then really have the, the final performance as like the, the ending and how did the season go, you know, as a whole. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yep. And my, my principal is completely behind it, uh, backing it. Cause I was a little worried I was going to get shut down because the pressure that's on. But uh, she's such a supporter of the arts and and me. Um, you know, I, I can't thank her enough uh, for everything she does. And I, I don't think she listens to the podcast, but um, I've had a lot of bosses. Um, and I've had some actually really great principals. I, I don't think, with the exception of one, and the one who almost made me stop teaching completely, uh, I've had nothing but great principals. But um, this particular one that I have now is, without any hesitation... Uh, the best um, and not just the best principal I've had two bosses in my life that I was completely and utterly inspired by um, one was my boss at Lowe's who I had again several bosses at Lowe's but my last boss at Lowe's who was there the longest um, I've never seen a manager get down in the trenches so much as as this guy from Lowe's and then my boss at my current school um, so I'm grateful that she's allowing me to do the documentary um, I haven't talked to the band director yet, so he could still put an end to this if he's like, "No way, I don't want to be on camera." End of end of my plan. So, <laughs> if oh you, no, yeah, and it would stink because I really do have like I have a treatment written out. Um, I'm gonna be doing all the the, the documentation for the le- legal purposes, so I have the rights to use their likenesses. I have a um, the Scottish unit director is a friend of mine, and she's already given me a list of seniors that I should include, like kind of the focus on because I do want it to be student focused. Um, but I, you know, I want I, I'm. It's not an original structure, mind you. Like this is, you could look at the film step that I've already referenced, and you will see a very similar structure. But it's a very different story because this is different people in a different community and a different purpose. But it's a, it's still the same kind of structure as far as the documentary would go, I think. But again, who knows? Once you start filming, you might find a different story that you weren't even expecting to encounter. You know, and that's the story <laughs> that you tell, and that's the difference with a documentary and a narrative. Obviously, is I can't force a story. I tell the narrative that falls in front of me, but I, I foresee, like, right now I see, like, five different directions the narrative is could likely go, but there could be dozens that I'm not even anticipating, you know? But that's my next challenge, I think, is uh, instead of just looking and reviewing, I'm going to try my hand at a documentary, see what happens. Good luck! All right, people, I've spoken enough. Um, we're going to get into our review this week of Amelie. Um, Amelie is a foreign film, a French film to be precise. Um, it is directed by the same guy who directed Alien Resurrection that we watched a couple weeks ago, Jean-Pierre Genois, I'm guessing is how you say it since it's French. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it's co- co-written by Jean-Pierre Genois um, with Guillaume, oh boy, Guillaume Laurent. And others, according to IMDb. I'm so bad at this. Um, yeah, I, I apologize for my butchering of names once in a while, but um, the IMDb plot summary of uh, Amelie is, Amelie is an innocent and naive girl in Paris with her own sense of justice. She decides to help those around her and, along the way, discovers love. Um, Corey, I think before we get into our review, you got something to tell the listeners. Spoiler warning! This movie is 16 years old. If you don't mind us spoiling, you can listen straight ahead. Or if you want to go check it out first and then come back to us, do as you please. All right, Corey. I have seen this once before this viewing, um, and you have never seen it, correct? That's correct. 
I want you to start, and I want you to give your initial impressions oh, of this movie, like uh, your overall kind of feel for it, what you liked, uh, you know, did you like it, that kind of thing. Okay. Um, I went into this movie kind of expecting to enjoy it, because although I did not like Alien Resurrection, that's what I was booing, not the director overall. I'm a big fan of his movie Delicatessen. Which I have and not seen. And you haven't seen. Correct. Um, so I really like that movie, um, and I kind of expected to go into this movie liking it also, and I did. Okay. Um, was there, now, I haven't seen Delicatessen. Is there anything similar from Delicatessen to this movie? Oh, yeah. His use of humor, which in both of these movies is very appropriate, where in the movie We Shall Not Ma- Name was not, it didn't seem to fit at all. Um, I like his kind of quirky, offbeat um, kind of dark humor. Um, I like that a lot. And his use of color. Oh, yeah. This movie, I noticed... Oh, yes? Oh, I was just saying the color in this movie is, is amazing. Amazing. I noticed so many greens and so many reds. Mm-hmm. Which, usually when I see those colors together, I just think Christmas. But <laughs> he made it work really well in this yeah. movie. And he uses a lot of those types of um like i can't remember i think there was a lot of green and delicatessen but the other colors aren't sticking out to me as much it's been a few years since i've watched it well um, um but, just mm-hmm. to note amelie it is uh it was nominated for a few oscars in 2002 um it was nominated for best foreign film uh, best writing screenplay um i'm guessing originally yeah it's original screenplay although that i guess at the time it was best screenplay written directly for the screen um, it was nominated for Best Art Direction, which definitely makes a lot of sense. And it was nominated for Best Cinematography, Best Sound. Um, so it, it's a well-received film. So our compliments um, are not un- unheard of, mind you. But uh, we will be discussing in, in length the things we liked about this film and the things that we maybe didn't, if there is anything. Um, I want to jump in. When I watched it last year... I liked it. I think I gave it not quite golden pony boy um, as the rating a year ago. Um, we don't we give our ratings for the movie at the end, so I won't say what I'm thinking it is now. However, you if you have even an ounce of sense, you will probably be able to put together as um, I feel um, I, I've been wanting to. In fact, uh, with Letterboxd, I've been trying to be a little more active on Letterboxd and and making more lists and stuff and. Um, Big Tuna, who has written for our site a few times, um, he has a top 50 uh, list, that like his favorite 50 movies, right? And mm-hmm. I've been wanting to do that, too, because I've had a top 10, but 10 just doesn't feel like I'm expressing my love of, of enough of the movies that I love, you know what I mean? Because 10 is so finite. Um, so I decided to start trying to fill a list of 50, which I've not gotten very far. I'm still only, like, I think maybe 15 or 20 movies into the list right now. Um the cool thing about that though is that it's a living list oh yeah it can change at any time and with that amelie is in my top 20 right now i know because i'm gonna have to unfollow you on facebook <laughs> you saw that <laughs> i was like dang it john but um amelie is uh after watching it the second time because I, I enjoyed it the first time but as i've said before sometimes it's the the state of mind you're in when you watch a movie um, I remember feeling it was kind of slow, and I think I even wrote that in my review. I, I meant to reread my review before doing the podcast tonight, but I didn't get to it. Um, but I think I, I said it, it felt a little slow or something um, with the plot. And man, I don't, I didn't feel that way at all this time. I noticed a bunch of things this time that I somehow missed the first time around. And um, what I what was initially just like a really pleasant, enjoyable movie is now one that I I adore so much. Um, and if you have been paying attention to my likes, um, listeners. You will know I am a huge Edgar Wright fan, and I list him as my favorite director on um, one of our top five movie podcasts. And um, I, I feel like he had to take something from this film. Um, there's so many things that are reminiscent to me to Wright's style, the humor, um, the the camera work. There's lots of close-ups. Um, even some of the in and out of frames, like some of the transitions feel very much like the way Edgar Wright transitions in his sequences. Um, and I could be wrong completely, but this, by the date, this is 2001, Shaun of the Dead comes out in 2004. It's not impossible that this movie could have influenced some of his style. 
I don't I haven't read that I haven't heard that but it, it, even if I'm wrong that's part of the reason why I'm drawn to this movie is it reminds me of Edgar Wright films um I really I, I want to watch this like three more times because I'm hoping at some point I won't need to read the subtitles and I can just watch it because it's so beautiful <laughs> and the camera work is so great and I know that I miss things true like I could not oh. I've been trying to be a better human and leave my phone hung up in my bedroom or something while I'm watching a movie. So I just mm -hmm. pay attention because sometimes I can be easily distracted when I'm watching movies at home. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I totally agree. I always watch movies with subtitles on. But when it's a foreign film, you legit, you can't like not, you can't pay attention to everything that's happening on the screen because you have to be reading those subtitles so intensely. Yeah. And I'm not opposed to subtitles now. Like I, before last year, Same. I actively avoided films that had subtitles, um, partly because I want to watch the movie, and I, I definitely still can watch the movie. But I do feel like your eyes are looking in an area that you. I don't generally focus on the bottom of the screen when I watch a movie. I, I focus on the screen, and when I'm watching a film with subtitles, I my eyes are definitely mainly looking at the bottom and sometimes i pick and choose like i'll i maybe will read every other line or something and so i might miss a line of dialogue um and sometimes you don't need it sometimes the visual story is so strong you don't even need to read the dialogue um you can get together what, what's happening but this story and there's so much there's so many great little narration moments which remind me of scott pilgrim in some ways um you know the narrator will have these little like jokes that he just throws in like uh in scott pilgrim there's a sequence where um He's on the date with Ramona at his house and she's asking him about his ex-girlfriend Envy and um, it was mutual and the narrator will counter it wasn't, you know, like things like that, that there's like little jokes yeah. like that with the narration in this movie that um, if I, I wish I didn't have to read it because then I could just be seeing the visual gag that's happening on the screen. Um, but again, I'm not complaining about the subtitles. Um, I also I really like the French uh, that's being spoken. It's just. There's some there's such an elegance to it, um, and it adds to the feel of this movie in every every step of the way. Um, we didn't mention it does star Audrey Tatu Tatu. I'm I'm not I'm so bad with names, guys. I'm so sorry. Um, uh, she's in the Da Vinci Code though, which um, I saw. She star she's Sophie um, Matthew Kasovitz. Uh, the guy's name is actually just Rufus apparently. Um, he's like Madonna. Um, and then there is a regular. Um, Dominique Pinion, who is in both Delicatessen and Alien Resurrection, um, as well as Amelie, so clearly a friend of the director. Um, FFs. And I'm, I'm seeing if there's anybody else worth... Uh, wait, we need... What was the guy in the wheelchair's name? Because he's important. I think it's... I think Rufus is him. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Rufus is the guy in the wheelchair. Um, and then there's Lucian, who works at the... Uh, at the the grocery store um who's jamel deboise deboise i'm not i'm again bad with this um, i thought that that was raymond dufayel is the guy in the wheelchair but maybe i'm wrong the glass guy oh you might be correct so, so that's sergi merlin who's Raphael poulain then oh well um there's a lot of people in this movie um maybe that's her dad oh that's her dad Duh, same last name. Um, Amelie's last name is Poulain, so Durr. Um So I love the opening story of Amelie, by the way, like the character, not the movie. Um, well, both, but um, like how why she's isolated because uh, her dad didn't hug her enough, but he was a doctor. So when he checks her heart, she has her heartbeat increases because she's excited to have some kind of contact with people, and so he thinks she has a heart problem. So they don't yeah. let her. They don't let her go to school, and it, luckily for them, her mom was a teacher, so her mom teaches her. So she's basically just stuck with her neurotic parents, and um, it makes her crazy because she starts imagining some of those little animations, like uh, as a, when she's a kid, like there's little animations that her imaginary friends and stuff. It's just, it's just so great. This movie, I love. I have the same thing in my notes that I love um, the opening sequence and where we get to meet her and see her doing strange kid things like peeling glue off of her fingers which is something i still enjoy doing as an adult um blowing rolled up paper and just all these great like i love all the stories to all the characters in the movie because yeah. every single person that we're introduced to i love that he's like so and so hates this and this and this but they love 
this yeah. and I just love it. And yeah, it, it's it's kind of I think the idea is that it's like a personal ad, um, you know, like it's, ah. it's the likes and dislikes because the movie really does center around love um, throughout the film. And so I, I feel like that's why we're getting these likes and dislikes that everybody has. It's like a personal column. It's like uh, turn ons and turn offs, you know, like that idea. And I love that. It's because it's like you said, it's so funny. And we get some characters we get introduced to what they like and there's they're not important enough for us to know but yet we get it anyways because it's the theme of the film it's like these like uh, amelie she likes to skip rocks and she likes to put her hands in bags of grain i love that and then all through the movie all through the movie all these different places that she's stopping she's picking up rocks yep. to skip i loved it and even like when she gets a chance to put her hand in something you see her like tense up <laughs> beans and yeah. stuff at the like neighborhood grocer and and the, the funniest explanation is that she tried having sex and found it yeah so she found other joys in life instead and these are those things that she's supplemented um and uh oh man there's just so, there's so much awesomeness in this movie um again we've already talked about the visuals just being stunning and um the story so her mom dies as a kid in a horrific way a woman tries to kill herself and lands on her mom oh. who is standing next to amelie when it happens <laughs> so as if the kid didn't already have enough problems um she witnesses her mother die by a suicidal woman um and bad timing uh, and that's the t like you might be thinking well that sounds stupid y yes there are some extremely silly things that happen in this movie for sure but it's quirky with intent everything that happens that's quirky is by design um and it's it kind of makes it paints this surreal world that she lives in. Like she lives in France, um, but it's not a normal like it's definitely the real France. It's not super surreal, but it's this weird kind of alternate version of this quirky world that she lives in. And I mean, the death of her mom makes her dad even more neurotic. And um, she finally moves away when she's old enough, but she's anxious. And so Corey, uh, go ahead, Corey. I was just going to say, I find it interesting that even though she doesn't have like this closer relationship with either of her parents, that even after she does move away, she still makes it a point to go and visit him. And she still tries to have a relationship with him and she still tries to be encouraging of him. Yeah. And which um, she ends up uh, it's interesting because, again, the narration, they're like an event's going to happen that's going to change her life forever without her knowing it. And the movie's uh, heavily tied into the death of Princess Diana, um, as that is the event that... It's not the event that triggers her change, but it's the event that triggers the event that will trigger her change. And that is she simply drops uh, the, the lid of her... I think it's a perfume bottle. I think you're right. And it hits uh, a tile on the wall, on the the base of the floor in her bathroom, and it loosens. And she she sees that it's loose, pulls it down reaches her hand in and finds this little box and it's there's nothing magical in the box it's like a little time capsule that some kid that used to live in her her loft or whatever i think flat is the word um uh had hidden and she becomes really intrigued by its story she wants to know where it came from who the kid was and her goal is to return it to him and she kind of gives herself this ultimate you know, if she gets it back to him and he's moved then she will she will start helping people in secret doing her own kind of justice now we learned about her restorative justice um, in her her flashback as a child. Uh, there was a guy who, what did he do to her? Oh, he he told her, oh man, I forgot how oh, great yeah. this is. He, he told her that it was her camera's fault. It, her camera caused a car accident. And so she was terrified and went to the news and there were all these different accidents that happened that day. And she thought she was responsible for everyone because of her camera. So she was traumatized until later she realized the guy was a jerk and he had lied to her. So she got she got him back by uh, sitting on uh, his antenna and unplugging his antenna every time a major moment in the soccer match was about to happen. And he loses his crap. It is hilarious. I that, loved it so much. And that sets up a, a personality trait that will uh, be used throughout the film where she takes kind of restorative justice upon upon herself don't be mean especially not it's, in front of amelie <laughs> it's not hard gosh um but yeah so she uh that and then helping this guy so she's kind of got two perspectives one she wants to help people but two she wants to punish those who are mean to others like Corey said and so we get a lot of these little um storylines that 
we're we're privy to that other people are kind of unaware of her manipulation of them in a sense. Um, but Mr. Glass, who Corey mentioned earlier, um, which I love that his name is Mr. Glass because Unbreakable. Um, but I don't think his name is Mr. Glass. He the Glass Man. He's yes. Yeah, that's his. I I like to call him Mr. Glass though. Um, sorry. No, no, no. You're you're right. It's the Glass Man, and that's not his actual name. Um, I forgot you just said his name. Um, I'm looking right. now. Raymond uh, Raymond something Dufresne or Dufron Dufayel Dufayel yes um he is uh a, he lives in the same building as her but in a weird the building must be kind of like a U shape because she can see him through her window so there's like a gap I guess between um but he ends up befriending her and there's an important storyline kind of with a painting he's been painting the same painting every year for twenty years Monet. A Monet, right? I th- uh, no Renoir. It's Renoir. Renoir. Um, and I don't know which painting it is, but it's a bunch of people like having a party or something. Yeah. And he points out there's this one girl whose face he can never get right. He he doesn't understand her purpose in the painting. Um, and it becomes a, a very blatantly obvious metaphor intentionally. Again, it's not meant to be hard for everyone to grasp, but this the girl in the painting represents Amelie, and he is aware of that, and he's talking to Amelie about Amelie through the painting. Um, that she stands on the outside, she's, she doesn't want to be in, and Amelie will offer counter-suggestions to her personality, and he'll offer... It's a very interesting way of them debating her role in, in the world. And um, I, I enjoy it. Like, again, it's not it's not like I'm a genius because I notice it. It's blatant. It's very obvious that's what they want you to take in. But I, I find it an interesting way for these two characters to kind of have a conversation that they wouldn't have otherwise had because it's it's not Amelie's personality to be so blunt about herself um and even to talk about herself you know so it was a like inventive way of making her discuss her her role in the world hmm. did you pick up on that i did um i forget all the things that he was saying about her but yeah i did like that she did always have something to counteract it with and she gets mad a couple times at him over and it i think isn't there one point where she's like she doesn't want to be his friend anymore and she doesn't mm-hmm. want to talk to him anymore? Yeah, I, he called her out on something and she was very like, oh, "What? Who is he?" Um, but we get we get that storyline and that. Um, there's a I don't want to completely spoil the end, but there is a really great moment later in the film where he admits to like the the metaphor essentially and says, "This is it. Make a make a move. You you need to make a move or you will regret it." Um, but so while she's doing this restorative justice thing, she finds the little boy and it's a very sweet moment where the guy finds this box and how he, it, we get to see all these little trinkets and how what they mean to him, what they were when he was a child. And I love that sequence. And then his emotion taking over very such a small performance like it's he's hardly in the movie, but man, he does such a terrific job of uh, garnering sympathy. And he like goes into this little place and has a drink next to her. Um, we do get to see him again later in the film uh, for closure purposes, but I just I, I loved it. I did too, and I love how thoughtful she is in this movie because she never once walks up to somebody and just says "here" or "why don't you just date so and so." She like goes about it in a very non-direct way, mm-hmm. and she tries to be as non. She tries not to have it include her. I don't know how to explain that. She she works but, in the periphery and sets up. She's pl- kind of playing chess. Um, she's setting up all these moves and letting everything just kind of fall into place. Rather than being aggressive, she's being very um, passive and allowing for things to to move. But she just makes these little subtle suggestions and you know makes uh, she spill like the most aggressive thing she does is spill tea on a person um, to make them confront the person she's no, attracted yeah. to, which is then followed by a hilarious sequence. Um, awkward oh there's so many awkward scenes because one of one of her favorite things to do is to sit on the roof and wonder how many people are having orgasms at that moment (laughs) and then we get a a montage of like people in in rapture um, and and i forget how many but she turns to the camera and she's like eight 15 it's 15 um yeah it's so funny and uh just the smile on her face and the the use of close-ups in this movie because she is in your face so much in this movie and there's so many little shots um, there's the part where she, uh, she likes to crap, cr- crack creme brulee with a spoon and she just oh. holds the spoon up like next to her face. I just love that shot. Um, it's so fantastic. I, I can't speak highly enough about this movie. I, I really, 
I love it. Um, I love it so much. And that's, again, like, the first time I watched it, I liked it. This time around, it was just everything that I love about movies. It's visually stunning. It's it's entertaining. It's quirky. Um, it's very original style of, of storytelling because, again, you have the narration, but the narrator isn't really filling us in for this story as much as he's filling in some blanks, um, and he's acting as this omnipresent, you know, mind. He lets us know things that we wouldn't otherwise be able to know. But then we have Amelie's perspective, who is the main story, and her struggle, and her story is so sympathetic. Like, I feel so bad for her because she's got this really crazy life all because of a mistake, because her parents were crazy. Like, she doesn't have a heart problem, but she's lived her whole life thinking she has a heart problem. And being not, it doesn't play as big a factor for her. Like, she doesn't seem to be, like, afraid of dying from her heart condition or whatever, but, um, you know, the way she influences things, because she, she does a thing with her dad and his gnome, which is hilarious. I love that. It's so funny <sighs> um, how he's getting pictures, like, of his gnome in different and, places. And he's excited for them. He's like, you know. And then he, like, puts them up in a room of his house mm -hmm. in this big, like, some framed art. And he starts yep. sticking them in the, like, into the frame. Yeah. Um, I loved Nino. Nino? Um, yeah, the the guy that Amelie falls in love with. Yes. Yeah. I was like, what the heck is he doing? I thought he was looking for money or something under the photo booths. I didn't know what he was doing. And I love nope. that they showed that to us a few times before mm -hmm. she found his photo book. Did it fall out of his bag? I can't remember how she came uh, across it. Oh, it's it. such a great sequence because there's an amazing chase sequence where we see him chasing this guy. And we don't know why. Oh, he's running up the steps and everything out of the uh, train station. That's right. Yep. And he gets on his little moped pedal bike. I don't know what to call it because it's motorized, but you have to pedal to get the motor going. Um, and while he's chasing after the guy's car, another car turns around the corner, almost hits him, but hits the saddlebag on his bike and oh, knocks, knocks the saddlebag. That's right. And um, and then Amelie, who is following him, because it's a three-person chase, but uh, it doesn't appear that anybody knows they're being chased. Um, and Amelie picks it up and finds it, and then uh, he posts posters like, you know, I'm looking for my photo album. Do you have it? Please return it. Which is one of the funniest scenes in the movie because the number he posts is at his job. No! And it, his, he's currently working at a... Uh, he apparently has a few jobs because none of them pay great, but he's working at like a porn store, and so when she calls, <laughs> it's a different guy answers, and he thinks she's inquiring about being a star in one of the movies and it's it are she, you at least 18 yeah she's like yes and then he's are you <laughs> and she's just like okay hanging up now and she thinks that nino's a, a creep but he's not and she does find that out thank goodness but initially she's like i'm done with this guy this guy is not for me um but then she finds out that no he's not like that he just works there because he needs a job um and yeah so the story that that plays out that is the main love arc, she was helping others, she was punishing others who were doing wrong things, and then she kind of finds herself attracted to this guy who's really quirky. He uh, collects the discarded photos from the photo booths and pastes them back together and keeps albums of all these people's stuff. It's a, a weird personality quirk like Amelie's, picking up the rocks, um, you know, putting her hand in grain. It's that same type of thing he does, and she finds out he has other quirky things that he's collected in the past as well. He used to take pictures of footprints, um, and things like that. Like, they're both weird and quirky, and it seems like they might be meant for each other. And Corey, you you pointed out that you really like Nino, so, um, uh, I, um, I really. I just feel like everything is very original in the story. I love the way that he builds his characters, and I love Nino so much. Um, how, and again, she's kind of from the outside trying to communicate with him. And then she like also leaves the posters around that meet me here, but she doesn't want to meet him because she's shy. Mm -hmm. And so she sets up all these different, I love her use of the telephones also. Oh yeah. Yeah. She uses that a few times to, to manipulate the situation. She'll call a payphone, um, which obviously that does date this movie a little bit because payphones, <laughs> but um, she'll call the payphone from another payphone and, uh, pull the person in that she wants to talk and um yeah there's all these little mysteries that she lays out where people have to solve the clues or at least follow the pieces um 
without her directly stating this is what I want you to do. In fact, she leads him on a wild goose chase that gets him up to uh, like binoculars um, for like tourist attractions, only so she can put the photo album in his saddlebag without him being there. <laughs> um, I just really liked him a lot. Um, so funny when she goes into that shop. I couldn't handle it. And that lady, yeah. the lady that works there. Yeah. When I got him this job, oh no, he's not interested in a girlfriend. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I also love when she was exacting justice on the grocer for being mean. Oh yeah, because he's super mean to his employee. He's so mean. Um, And then, yeah, so she steals his key and makes a copy and then is kind of breaking into his apartment and... She changes the foot cream with the toothpaste, and I don't know what she put in the wire of the lamp that made oh, it. She put a pin through the the wire, so when he plugs it in, it sparks because there's metal, like a conduction. Um, so she put like a like a thin like a sewing pin through it, and then cut it off so it was flush. Um, okay. Yeah, and he the scream he lets out when it sparks is hilarious, mm. uh, and then even changing his. Uh, speed dial to a psychiatric clinic so when he <laughs> yeah goes, instead of his mom yeah he goes to call his mom and it's like you've reached the psychiatric hotline or whatever and he just looks so scared like he's lost his crap <laughs> no um it's so funny and like she changes his slippers to a smaller size so they don't fit right it's just and like he doesn't know that someone's been in his apartment there's no sign she's been there although Mr. Glass knows that she's been in there or the glass man excuse me he sees her doing a lot of her stuff mm -hmm. um he doesn't, I don't want to say catch her, catches her, but when she, she's breaking into everybody's apartment. Um, she break, she also sneaks into the one lady. Downstairs. I think that she's, they call her the, what is it called? Like the super or something. Yeah. And she like breaks into her apartment and steals her love letters and makes a new love letter and like washes the paper in tea so that it looks Ace. aged and yep. hangs it up and the glass man sees her do that. He like sees her doing a lot of these things. <laughs> mm -hmm. And you know, but she, that one's a, a positive thing. Like she's, she's, yeah, she's only punishes really the, the guy from the grocery store. I don't think she punishes anybody else really. Um, from what I can recall. And she, you know, but she's, she's trying to find herself, trying to find comfort with who she is. And, um, she finds Nino and she starts to fall in love and it's, there is a love story, and it's a very sweet love story. In fact, again, the whole movie is kind of about love because while her parents were neurotic, they were in love. They loved each other so much, and even when the mom died, all that did was make the dad crazier, and he made a shrine to her in the front yard that he was constantly adding to and building on. Um, I thought it was interesting, though, that she hated that lawn gnome, but he put it on her shrine. Yeah, yeah. Um, that Yeah, that's one of those things. It's like, you know... It's that quirky thing. It's just she didn't like it, so it was in the shed. But now I'm gonna put it on her shrine. Um yeah. and cement it on the shrine. Like it's not just on there, like he's <laughs> cementing it. Um, but yeah, the uh it's a movie that um if you one you avoid films because of subtitles, this is one you need to just get over and watch. It is amazing. Um it's funny, it is it's it really is gorgeous. The color palette is so beautiful. Um, the, they're such vibrant colors and then the cinematography is fantastic and the editing is fantastic the movie moves um, it's just at two hours and I, I don't know I, I, I'm I going to go ahead and say my review of Amelie it's a must see uh, Corey what is your take on the movie same sometimes our stars align Corey and we agree completely um, and then sometimes I'm totally <laughs> on the polar opposite <laughs> like, like get needles. out um, that is our review of Amelie uh, for episode 22 um, we both say it's a must see movie it has become one of my favorite movies it is in my top 20 for sure it might be in my top 10 I haven't decided yet but it is a film that I absolutely adore I plan on rewatching this I hopefully soon because my wife didn't feel like watching it and I really wanted her to and after I watched it and I was just like I'm like okay it's one of my favorite movies now I love this movie um, she was like, okay, maybe I do need to watch. I'm like, yeah, I really, I really think you should. It's, it's amazing. Um, I'll so, send her message, message your pressure. Yes. Um, if you have not seen Amelie, uh, I highly, highly, highly recommend that you check it out. It is a fantastic movie. 
It is fun. It is um, adorable, honestly. Like, I don't say that about movies very often, but this movie is adorable. And um, it makes you feel good because mm-hmm. she's like doing all these good, nice, kind things. And then if you're a jerk and you deserve it, you know, you get what you put in. Yeah. And, sh- and even one of the kind things she does could be a jerk thing, too, because she sets up uh, the couple at the at the restaurant she no. works at. And I don't know if that was good or bad because they're not he's not a good guy. So I don't know if he deserves to be happy. Um, but she she still sets him up. But yeah. Um, so but yeah, it does make me feel good. Um, just even the colors alone make you feel good. It's such a vibrant and bright movie. Um, and there's sad parts, too, though. Like there's a few sad parts where I don't know that I ever felt like I was going to cry. But you are like, oh, man, um, poor Amelie, like this poor girl. Bye. All right, so let's talk episode 23. Um, we have decided to watch a Netflix original. Um, it is called Small Crimes. Uh, it is recently released. Um, it stars Jamie Lannister from uh, Game of Thrones, Nic- Nikolai Coster-Waldo, um, Robert Forrester, who I know from uh, Jackie Brown, the Tarantino film, um, and Jackie Weaver, who I'm not familiar with, but... Um, oh, Gary Cole's in this too. Oh, oh, and I I don't know if you saw this or not, Corey, but Macon Blair is in it. Um, I did see that. I don't know how big of his part, but he is a co-writer on the screenplay with Eli Katz and others. Um, so that was the motivation for checking this film out. Um, we will be watching this and giving our review on episode 23. So if you have Netflix and you want to check out Small Crimes, we would love to hear your thoughts on the movie. Um, and if you uh, email them to us or comment on this episode of the podcast, or tweeted us your comments. We will uh, potentially read them on the air or on the podcast. Um, but I think that's it for the week. Or do you have anything you want to add? Nope. Just watch Amelie. Watch Amelie and Small Crimes. Um, Corey can be found on Twitter at? Corey, our star, two R's on the end. And I am at Burke Reviews. And you can find us on Instagram and other social media. The website is BurkeReviews.com. Um, we have tons of articles posted every week. Uh, usually reviews, sometimes some other um, editorial pieces. Uh, check out the recently reviewed Wonder Woman. Um, also from last week, Pirates of the Caribbean and Baywatch reviews are up. Um, if you're curious about the summer movies, uh, we are on our top five movie podcast. We are currently in the middle of our summer movie wager. My first movie, uh, my team of five just released Wonder Woman and Corey's got two in Pirates of the Caribbean and King Arthur, unfortunately. <laughs> um, totally not winning. <laughs> yeah. Not looking good for Corey unless one of these other movies have a huge, opening weekend um and mike is currently crushing us uh with guardians of the galaxy volume two and um uh he has baywatch already as well which is doing horrible though worse than king arthur and um alien covenant which has died out it did well its first weekend but it has it has fallen um so i gotta say Corey, i'm mm-hmm. i'm looking like i'm posed to win this um because mike's big movies are done dark tower could surprise us I don't see Annabelle 2 making a lot of money. But no. I have Spider-Man, Wonder Woman, Despicable Me 3, and Cars. I'm pretty sure... Well, the, I have Dunkirk. You have I'm Dunkirk. That. Dunkirk could do very well. Um, the Mummy, I don't think, is going to do very well. That opens next weekend, though. We didn't talk about trailers at all. I know. I wasn't going to... I just realized that I, was, I went on a whole tangent. Well, we won't go into our um, details, but just a heads up. Coming out on July... Um, I don't. Not July. Ooh. It's not July. It's June. June. June uh, man, my brain just went completely kaput because I realized I forgot something so important. Um, June 9th, uh, we have three films coming out that we watched the trailers for: um, Mummy, The Mummy with Tom Cruise. Um, I I think it looks interesting. I don't think it looks necessarily good. I am planning on seeing it. Corey, what are your thoughts? No. No, she is not going to go see it. Um, then we have Megan Levy starring um, Crud. Rooney Mara, not Rooney Mara. Mara. It's no, not it's Mara. Kate. Kate Mara. Kate Mara. Yep. Um, I think it looks way too emotional for one. I. Why do you keep making me watch things, even trailers with dying dogs? I. You know what? We don't know if it dies or not. Oh wait, yeah, we do. That's right. That yeah, we do. Right. yeah, we do. Yeah, we do. Yeah, it looks really sad. Um, it also looks kind of bad. Um, yep. no offense to Megan Levy, but I I don't know the. It's not super compelling. Um, and it, it definitely looks like it's going to make you cry. And it won't be earned. It's just you're you're dealing with a dog that's dead. It's gonna be sad. And then um, 
one that I'm really bummed, Corey, because I found out I got home from Wonder Woman last night, checked yes. my email, and I had a freaking critic screening last night for It Comes at Night that Damn. I missed because apparently the email had got lost and I didn't get the email. It didn't get sent to me until yesterday. And I, I had like an apology, like, sorry, this got lost in the, the cycle or whatever. I hope you I hope you can make it. And I'm like, crud. They had one in Tampa and Orlando last night for It Comes at Night. I wouldn't have been able to go because I had to go see Wonder Woman last night. My whole family went to that. But still, I was bummed because like, this is my third in less than a month and a half from A24. So I feel like I've got them where they, they trust my reviews now. So I'm getting regular critic screenings um, from them, and I'm happy about that. Now, if I can expand to a few other studios, I will be very happy. But it comes out. It comes at night. Comes out next week, and that is what I'm going to see on Thursday night next week. Um, it's our mall is actually getting it. Oh, I'm stoked. Yep. So, I'm sure it'll come to my theater. So I will see the Mummy next weekend. I will not see Megan Levy. Um, our, the trailers can be seen at burkreviews.com if you're interested in seeing the, what three movies are coming out and what you're interested in. Uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts on those. Which one are you looking forward to? Um, again, check out our Top 5 Movie Podcast if you haven't. Thank you for listening. We'll be back next week after we uh, watch Small Crimes. Corey, have a good evening. Thank you. You guys have a good weekend. Oh, week. Either way. Peace out. <laughs> Bye. This has been a Burke Reviews Podcast. Burkreviews.com. <laughs>